The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the Iron Pits Podcast. And I'm finally back for another episode. I hope you all have been doing well in my absence. And it is good to be back in your presence again. It's good to be back in your eardrums talking all my foolishness and my craziness. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Happy belated MLK Day. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day for you all that don't know. Now, when it comes to Martin Luther King Day, I've always wondered one thing is, do racist people that hate black people and really hate Dr. King, like if they're working, do they force themselves to go to work even though that they have to be off? Or is it that if they go to work on that federal holiday and they get double time, do they refuse to work the double time and just work for straight time because they don't want to get paid for a holiday of a man that they hate? I'm just wondering. That's a good question. And with it being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, I worked the other day at the Muhammad Ali Center here in Louisville. And, you know, I had my family come up to the center when I was working, just doing security because they had a couple problems the past few days there. And, you know, just with my kids walking around the exhibits, showing them the, everything about Muhammad Ali. And they had a showing of the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech in the auditorium. And I went in there and I sat with my family and we watched the speech and I was just looking at all the different people in there. And of course the Louisville head of black lives matter, her and all her BS, she was in there, you know, and I was just looking like, you know, feel free to protest anytime, but your protest was not Dr. King's protest the way they did it back in the fifties and sixties. And they accomplished a lot more in that time span than the riots here recently in the past few years calling for justice. No, nothing really, nothing really came of it. Ain't no change. The only thing that happened in the last couple of years with that is there's been more violence and been more destruction and more divisiveness. Nothing really is much has really come of it. And, you know, and I remember during the protest, I was listening to some of the people online and people were saying, you know, we're not doing that old school shit no more, man. We're not doing that. We're done being peaceful and being quiet and just marching and walking. Those days are over. And I look now and I'm like, what has it gotten y'all? Nothing. But at the same time, the people that say that we're not marching like Dr. King, you know, I mean, when I was watching videos from the 50s and 60s on the civil rights era, they, there weren't people there that were taunting officers and there weren't young ladies on the front lines of the protest twerking. Talking about some, yeah, you wish you could hit this nigga, don't you? You wish you could have this. And adults cheering on these young ladies as they degraded themselves in the name of social justice, man. So when they try to compare the protest of today to the protest of Dr. King, I'm like, there's no comparison whatsoever. Is there a struggle? Of course, there's always a struggle, but the response to the struggle is nowhere near the same. I mean, this was the most degrading disrespectful 
and violence for no reason protest the last few years it just goes to show how far protests in this country has fallen I mean and you use violence and still didn't accomplish anything and I but I find it so bizarre that America Americans love to celebrate Martin Luther King Day you know but for some reason we celebrate that day but do everything opposite of what he was calling for now we fought and clawed our way from the civil rights era to where we are now but for some odd reason we seem to be regressing as a society to where we find value in victimhood and we find value in the color of a person's skin and not the content of the character Dr. King believed in nonviolent protest. And like I said, it worked. And it worked at a time when black people had zero footing and little to no influence in America. But now we are the complete opposite of that to where we cheer on violence and we bring on destruction and believe that it's necessary to make the change that they want to see. You know, Dr. King marched to ensure that black people were seen as equals and it worked. But for some odd reason, we continue to set the bar so low for black people in this country and we treat them as poor little children who don't even know how to go do simple things in society. And when we don't get what we want, we have a a temper tantrum. We throw a hissy fit and stomp, cry, yell, break things, set things on fire, hurt and kill people. You know, then we have the woke white folks that rush in and feel like, it's their job and their responsibility to help the poor black little black person up and to get them to the justice and the freedom that they deserve. It's their responsibility. I got to do it. This is all my fault. I got to rush in. I got to help. It ain't your job, white people. It's not your job. I've said it time and time again. It is the sole responsibility of the black community to save the black community. Like just like it is the sole responsibility of every man and woman that you can't save the world until you can learn to save yourself. And like I said, we keep setting this bar for black people so low in America and we show pity upon the black person and say things like, no voting's no, it's racist. They're trying to suppress the vote. How are they suppressing the vote? Cause black people don't have I voter. No, don't have ID. I'm like, where have y'all been for the last 50 years? Every black person I know has an ID. The black people that I run across that don't have an ID don't want to have an ID because they are engaged in crime and they don't want to be identified. So, of course, they don't have an ID. Those black people don't have IDs, but that ain't all black people. Most all black people I know that work, live honest lives, have an ID. And the standard for which we have set for the black for the black community in America, it's such a low bar. The standard for black America today is just to simply survive which is not really living at that point. You're just existing. And that's a shame for a group and a race of people that are living in the freest country on earth where they have more opportunity to change the situation there that they're in than other black people across the globe anywhere or any other people across the globe. And sadly to say that if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was alive today, I honestly believe that he would be disappointed with the current state of the black community in America and just America as a whole. Everybody, black, white, Mexican, 
Asian, everybody, you know, the Republicans, Democrats, conservative liberals, whatever you want to call it. I just honestly believe he would look at this and be like, this is not what we march for. This is not what we wanted. Yeah, no doubt that MLK Jr. would be disappointed with the current state of America and the black community. Of course, you know, there would be things he would be proud of because let's be honest, I mean, bro, black people have come a long way since the civil rights era. But just because we come a long way don't mean that we've arrived to the promised land just yet. You know, there's still a way to go on the journey and the trip and there are still obstacles that need to be overcome. You know, but that's only because we as people, as humans, you know, we're imperfect. You know, we'll never we're never going to reach to the point of perfection to where we have a utopian society like communism and socialism would want because it's just not possible. If it was possible, it would have already been done with the time we've been here on Earth. But, you know, you'll have some young people say, you know, we just haven't done it right yet. Like, no, that's not the case because it's not real. It's a false made up world. This utopia where everyone's on the same playing ground and everybody gets the same equal opportunities and, you know, nobody has to work harder than the other person. And we're just all the same and equal. And guess what? One, that's not fair because that doesn't mean just because we're all equal that we're all putting in the same amount of effort and work. That ain't how this thing works, man. You know, some people are going to have to come from the gutter and fight their way up and fight a little longer, a little tougher, a little harder. I'm one of those guys. I wasn't born with privilege. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm from a family of sharecroppers, cotton-picking Negroes. That's my family heritage and lineage, but we know how to work. And because of that, I've been able to work my way to the American dream. And I live a wonderful life because of that. But like anybody else and anything else, I'm not perfect. Black people in America aren't perfect. White people in America aren't perfect. You know, Dr. King himself was not a perfect man. And, you know, so this year I've been doing a little bit of deep diving and opening up my mind a bit more and wanting to learn more about Dr. King and just everything we have going on and the roots of everything, which all stems from, you know, past history. But as I was reading and learning more about Dr. King, I started reading more about some of the issues he was having as a man and as a human being on the earth, struggling with his humanity. And it just made me realize that, yeah, we focus on the good parts of Dr. King, but not everything about Dr. King was, you know, great. He had a bad side, you know, and I was reading these allegations that have been that were levied against him and some of the people in his party. You know, there's uh, allegations stating that while they were in a hotel room, that one of his constituents was raping a young girl and that Dr. King sat there and laughed about the whole incident as it went on. You know, there was allegations of drinking and partying and, you know, there was comments being made from Dr. King where he was saying, stating that I'm not going to say the comment on here. It's pretty vulgar and it's language you would not expect to come out of a preacher's mouth. But, but if you're like me and realize that no matter how godly somebody, a man is or a preacher is, you realize at the end of the day, he's still just a man. So I'm not upset by the comments, but I you know I would be dismayed about the allegations of him watching a young lady get raped in a room as he laughed, you know, that's definitely a character flaw, but man, and, and everybody's wondering like, where are you getting this information from? Well, as you all know, the FBI viewed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a threat and they were surveilling him. And so anytime he would go to a hotel or go anywhere, they were listening and they would get into the room and they, and they would set up and they would tap his phone. So apparently they have 
hours upon hours of conversation between Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his constituents and all they have so many calls and so much uh, voice audio of the not so great parts of Dr. King. But the thing is, we don't remember him for that. You know, we don't remember Dr. King for shortcomings. We remember him for all the great things he has done. So my question is, why do we not show each other so much grace, so much mercy and forgiveness these days? We're able to just kind of glance over the not so great part of Dr. Martin Luther King and just key in on the greatness that he had, which I absolutely agree with. But at the same time, I don't think we should glance over the darkness in people's lives and the things that they have done. You know, people do need to be held accountable. And the thing with those audio conversations, people, is that they're sealed right now until the year 2027. And so the year 2027, apparently the FBI is going to unseal these documents and these audio recordings. But at the same time, who really trusts the FBI right now? You know what I'm saying? I can only imagine the FBI in the 1950s and 60s if it's the FBI is what it is now and as corrupt as it is. I couldn't even imagine then with less restrictions and regulations, you know, but. My thing is, my issue with the way things are today is that people are trying to make us an imperfect system that is ran by imperfect people perfect while we hold people alive today accountable and responsible for the missteps and misdeeds of their ancestors and forefathers and those that came before them. And I understand that there are still issues in America when it comes to race injustice and equality and no matter how far we come these issues will always be here they will always be amongst us there will always be poor there will always be rich there will always be that battle between the poor and the rich and there will be someone there to exploit the people and the issues and there will always be those people there who try to profit off of the division in the country between people That's why I believe that it's so important that we celebrate and appreciate just how far we have come and all that we have overcome as a nation, man. I mean, when we compare today's struggle against yesterday's and we still have we still have to acknowledge that we still have a journey that we're on and moving towards uh, towards making things better for everybody. I say, but making things better does not mean making things perfect. There's always going to be a flaw in the system. There's always going to be someone left out in the cold. There's always going to be somebody that profits and does better than the other. There's always going to be someone that has less than the other person. It's just never going to be 100% completely equal and fair. That's just not how things in this life work. And we have to realize that the issues and struggles that we face today and the same is are the same issues as yesterday, but they're still just as complex, man. And there was a lot that is kind of just caught in the middle that is gray and not so much black and white. And my God, that's one thing I learned in policing that there's a lot more gray in this world than there is just simply black and white and right or wrong. But when it comes to solutions to the issues and answers, it's always either or. See, it's either left or right. But you never really see that there's never really a third option or more in this country. It's either a Republican solution or a Democrat solution. It's either a liberal solution or a conservative solution. You know, and I get so frustrated with both the left and the right 
as a guy that's kind of, yeah, I lean right. I'm more conservative and I'm more of a Republican than, you know, that doesn't mean I'm all in on the right side because there's things on the right side that I don't like. And there's things on the left side that I do agree with and like, but we're just so all in either or that everything gets cloudy and you don't really know where to turn. And so one thing I've been doing this year as well, like I said, I'm trying to gain more knowledge and wisdom and learn about people. Like I said, I started reading Dr. King's first book, Strides Towards Freedom, where he details the accounts of the Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama uh, bus riot, uh, excuse me, not bus riots, <laughs> the, the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. You know, and being that I'm a man of faith, not the best one, but, you know, the Lord knows my heart and probably always looking down on me like, not again, Dexter, not again. <laughs> he knows me, but it's with him, you know, Dr. King being a man of the cloth as well. You know, I'm trying to learn to read my Bible a little more, dive into the book a little more, because I like I tell you, I, I'm not a reader. I can listen to something all day, but actually me having the discipline to sit and actually flip through pages or scroll my phone and read. That's kind of rough for you, boy. That's a little, that's, that's a bit much for me, but I started doing a Bible plan on the book of Proverbs because I, that's the, my, that, the book of Proverbs is literally my favorite book in the Bible because it is full of knowledge and wisdom. And as I'm getting older and I'm aging, I am seeking out more knowledge and wisdom to grow myself and those around me. You know, I want to pass this knowledge and wisdom on to my kids so that they can have better lives and live lives for Christ. And that when they look at me, they see me living that life as well. I don't want them to see, hear me saying something, but see me doing something the exact opposite. And so yeah, I've been really diving deep into the book of Proverbs. And I came across these verses the other day and I wanted to share them with you all for context and reference to the divide currently in America, because like anybody else, I get so caught up in this division in this left and right. And sometimes I catch myself taking a side or this side. And it's just like, which side is really right? You know, which side has the real answer And the book of Proverbs kind of directed me and told me this. It says Proverbs chapter four, verses 25 through 27. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left keep your foot from evil and keep moving forward mm. that right there spoke to it said don't look to the left or the right and what do we do in this country we look to either the left or the right we look to the republicans or the democrats and then there's another verse i came across proverbs chapter 6 verses 12 through 14 it said a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth who winks maliciously with his eye signals with his feet motions with his fingers who plot evil with deceit in his heart he always stirs up conflict and as i thought about that i started thinking about left versus right conservative poli republican politicians democratic politicians and there's always trouble being stirred up but then i also came across this verse here it's uh proverbs chapter 22 verse 10 and this is from the message version of the bible kind of a Newer, cooler, hip, woke version of the Bible. You know, I'm not a big message version, but I really like the way it translated. It said, kick out the troublemakers and things will quiet down. You need a break from bickering and griping. Kick out the troublemakers. And I thought to that, I was like, personally, like just anybody else in this country, I'm always looking left or right and dividing 
right and wrong, Republican or Democrat. And I'm just like, who's got the answer? Who's got the answer? Neither side really has the answer. And both sides are troublemakers. And I think we as a nation would benefit and profit a lot more if we kicked out the troublemakers on the left and the right. And we just look forward and look straight. We look to God first and foremost, as always, but also then start looking at our neighbors and those that we, the people in our lives, in our community, the people that don't look like us, but that we live in the same community with the people that we live in the same community with, but don't have the same ideals and thoughts. You know, we put so much time, thought and effort into electing a political, I'm not going to say leader, a political representative. And I was thinking, I was like, man, what if we put that same amount of energy into ourselves and that same level of expectation that we put on them? Let's put that level of expectation on God, you know, for something good and not these flawed system of systems of government that are by, ran by flawed men. When we have the almighty God before us that we could put all our trust and our faith in. And even when things don't work out the way we want them to or think they do or think that they should. We still know that he is God and that he is sovereign. And now why don't we put that much faith into ourselves sometimes? You know, how about we invest in ourselves a little bit more as opposed to investing in politicians that have forgotten that it's about we, the people and that we, the politicians. And, you know, I was just thinking about these verses and just, they just reminded me so much of the political system and the politics and the politicians therein. And how they take advantage of the division in this country. And then when there's division, guess who comes in? You got the grifters that come in, look at them, make money off the struggle of, you know, of trouble and division. Just like with BLM, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and politicians, man, like they saw this turbulent time in our country and they took advantage of all of us. They took advantage of everything. Like I said, BLM got all that money, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. But what have they done with it? For the black community nothing like i said bought some mansions hired her brother and her baby daddy you know to be like security guards for millions of dollars a year but yet in some odd reason we still sing the mantra of black lives matter but just the other night the other day here in louisville the day before the king day there was a young black man that was shot and killed in the west end of louisville and ain't no marching there ain't no say his chance to say his name there ain't no shouts, no, no shouts of we want justice because it's just another day in the Negro ghetto. And like I said, we have lowered the bar of expectation in this country, not just for the black community, but just in this country. So low, man, so low that survival is just good enough. You know, and if you speak out against it or you say something about it, you're racist, you're a bigot. Or if you're black and you don't, you know, you say something about it, you're a sellout, you're an Uncle Tom. And it just really goes to show you that our political system in this country is set up to make us believe that we have only one of two viable options. It's either left or right. But the truth is somewhere in the middle. And the fact is that despite the sides that we decide to choose, you know, when the when the line gets drawn in the sand and everybody's choosing and selecting their faction that they're going to be a part of in this fight. The truth of the matter is there's truths on both sides. But like I said, the truth lies in the middle somewhere. And we sometimes fail to realize when we get ingrained in these battles of left versus right, that guess what? Sometimes, and most times, 
that two things can be true at the same time, even when those two truths are coming from opposing factions. Today is January 17th, and I'm a little bit past the, I ain't going to say celebration, but the remembrance of the most evil day in American history, J6, January 6th. It's been two years and people are still so divided over it. People are still people still look at this incident from a left versus right perspective. And like I said, the truth is in the middle. And the honest truth about January 6th is that you know, there was nothing accomplished for the American people or our country on that day. You know, J6 also proved that, like I said, two arguments on both sides on either side can both be true at the same time. You know, and I just watched the dissonance from January 6th, and I still see people online arguing and going back and forth and commenting. And like I said, it's both from the fringes of the left and the right. You know, you got people saying, oh, he's an insurrectionist, or, you know, the or the other side is saying that it's a it's a Democratic cover-up and QAnon, and it's just both sides are just loony. I'm sorry. Just both sides are crazy. Just like I said, there was no winners on that day at the Capitol. No winners. And like I said, it's two things can be true at the same time. When I think about January 6th, it's let's be honest. It's dishonest to say and compare January 6th to 9-11, Pearl Harbor, the Civil War, even though that is what our politicians are doing. They're saying that it's worse than all of those put together. It's the worst thing ever. And I'm just like, like you combine those numbers of deaths on those days together. That's a lot of dead people. We had one person die on January 6th. One person died. And so that's being dishonest. You know, it's dishonest to say that what happened on that day was not a big deal and that it was just a casual stroll through the Capitol because you have people that just believe that, no, there was nothing wrong on January 6th and it was peaceful and, you know, they were just there walking. The, you know, the cops let them in. I'm like, of course the cops going to let you in, bro. There's a, thousands of you all and only a couple hundred of them you're threatening them and you know throwing stuff at them they, they're not gonna sit there and hold that line and be overrun and lose their lives of course they're gonna just let you in like you can't hold the line if there's no line to hold you know so i feel like i said that's it's dishonest to say that that nothing happened that day you know it's dishonest to say that ashley babbitt the young lady that was shot and killed on the capitol was a hero that's dishonest she's not a hero but it's also dishonest to say that the officer who shot her is a hero because he's not a hero. In my mind, the justifications for his use of deadly force in that incident, I don't agree with because she, you know, she didn't have a weapon present. But at the same time, she was an idiot for going up and for going into the Capitol one in such fashion two, trying to breach a door with chairs stacked against it with a man with a gun on the other side. You know, like it's. She was. I'm sorry. She was dumb. And if that offends you, I'm. So, damn. Well, no, I'm not sorry. If that offends you, that's on you, man. I just. That, she gets no sympathy for me. Like I hate that she died. I don't think she should have died. I don't think she should have been shot. But at the same time, she put herself in that situation. So, like I said, it's it's uh, two things can be true at the same time. It doesn't have to be either or. It's just we don't want to see the truth of the other side because we just want our side to be right and not be questioned. And, you know, January 6th just serves as a reminder for all of us of what happens when common sense is lost 
and emotion and irrational thoughts take center stage and are exploited by the media and politicians for them to achieve their political goals and maintain their power. You know, the left did not win. The right did not win on January 6th. America lost, plain and simple. And guess who's Americans? The the left is Americans. The right is full of Americans. Democrats are Americans. Republicans are Americans. You know, I get so tired of the polarization when people talk about January 6th and just the conspiracy theories, man, and just, you know, that the government's this and that, and they're going to save us, and the government's out to get us. And, you know, and I do believe that there's something sinister, something not right going on with the current system in America and the government and outside forces that wish us harm. I really do believe something's going on. But I'm not necessarily in agreement with the QAnon crowd, but I'm definitely not in agreement with the other side of the aisle that's saying that that the people at the Capitol represent everybody who likes Donald Trump. I'm not in agreement with the fact that the left is saying that the people at the Capitol represent everyone who's a conservative or a Republican. That's not true. I say that's that's very lazy intellectual thinking, because I can tell you now I'm a guy that like Trump. That voted for Trump. I'm a guy that's a conservative, and I'm a guy that typically votes Republican. And my black ass wouldn't have been at the Capitol on that day. I'm just telling you, I would not have been there. I'm smarter than that. My mama raised me better than that. I know better, and I know crazy people when I see them. Been in law enforcement 13 years, man. I can. There's something about large crowds that scares me, because the madness of the mob always runs away and common sense is not to be found in it i know better so the other day when i was off i came across this documentary on hbo called this place rules it's a documentary about j6 from this young reporter and i'll be honest man being that hbo i know hbo is very left very liberal but man let me tell you something about this documentary this is probably the only documentary or thing that I've watched about the January 6th incident in which it was done from a pretty mutual non-biased agenda. Now, there were some things in there that were a little left-leaning, like taking stabs at Trump, yo, but Trump wasn't innocent in this thing, you know. I'm not saying that he told people to go to the White House, to go to the Capitol to destroy the place, but, you know, the emotions were running high, and I mean, you know, he told people we're gonna go march, but at the end, he also told them, hey, go home. Take y'all asses home. Stop tearing apart this Capitol building and assaulting these police officers. But but yeah, man, this documentary was so, so good. If you have a chance, go on HBO, uh, HBO Max, the app, and watch This Place Rules. Man, I mean, it's honestly the most honest portrayal of the whole thing. I mean, he talks to people on the far left that are crazy. He talks to people on the far right that are crazy. And he shows how the media and politicians played into this whole thing and played into this divide that's in the country that helped stir the pot and cause this thing to blow up on January 6th. And I know what you're thinking. Well, and I'm kind of in agreement. Yeah, like you can stir the pot all you want, but just because you stir the pot doesn't mean I have to blow up and explode. But of course, that's what people did. And the people that did explode are not America's best and brightest and smartest, I'll have to say. Because if you look at the people there, you're just like, you know what? These people are Americans, but they don't represent America, at least the America I know. You know, because the America I live in, most people I know are normal and reasonable and would not have been at the Capitol that day. Most people I know are normal and reasonable and don't necessarily go and get involved in protest and riots.
And, you know, this was the fringes of society clashing with the government. But this was also the fringes of society being poked by the other side, you know, kind of setting a trap and luring them into the stupidity. And it's so scary to believe, to know that there are so many people that are so emotional, persuadable and gullible in this country that they could be swayed that easy into doing something. And like I said, what was done at the Capitol on January 6th was wrong. I don't agree with any of it. But at the same time, the people that were arrested on January 6th that are still being held without being charged. That's wrong, too. And I don't agree with that either. You know, we have a justice system for a reason. You know, these people are idiots. I wouldn't call them terrorists because if they were terrorists, they would have been carrying firearms and all types of other craziness. But that wasn't the case. They're just a really, really dumb bunch of people that were really upset being taken advantage of by QAnon, thinking that there was this great battle and the military was going to arrest Hillary Clinton and all these people. And none of it came to pass. And guess what? They couldn't handle it. And hey, I understand the questioning of the election and the emotions behind it. I got questions just like everybody else. Something ain't right. You can't stop the vote at 12 o'clock and then four or five hours later, all of a sudden, the whole, you know, the whole thing changes and the vote swings from Trump to, to Biden. I got questions, man. But I'm not willing to go to the Capitol without hard facts. But the thing is, everybody thinks they have hard facts. Everybody thinks they know the truth. Everybody thinks they have the answers. And the truth is, you know what? Who really knows? But as horrible as things were at the Capitol on January 6th that day, I can say that one good thing did come out of J6. And that is the fact that the fear of God was put into the heart of elected officials. You know, that was the, that was the first time in a long time in which they were afraid of the people that put them in their office. You know, that was you know, they need a good they need a good scare from time to time. Man. And they need a good reminder of who they're supposed to be serving and where their power comes from. We the people. Yeah, I might not agree with the whole day and how things unfolded, but them being scared for their lives to a certain point because they know they're up to some bull crap. Absolutely okay with it. And with them being scared, it's like I said, they need that fresh reminder that we the people run this thing. But at the same time, you know, we the people, this happened because we the people are tired of the BS. And we're tired of being misled and we are tired of the double standards and and how politicians and the media play on our emotions and try to pit us against one another, once another all the time. Case in point, a few months ago, I'm sure I don't know if you all remember this little thing happened with former President Donald Trump. He had some documents at his house. See, I'm saying right. Coming up on Black History Month, documents. My man has some documents at his house. Right. And. I guess the FBI found out and the next thing you know, there's this giant raid and every guy's coming out with rifles and weapons and they go to the president's personal house, raid his house. And apparently from my radio, they went to his wife's panty drawer and her clothes, just looking for these top secret documents that apparently he was not supposed to have. And I remember the anger and the, the meltdown that the left had when this came to light. 
Just, oh my God, Trump is such a horrible person. Why would he have these documents? He deserves to be in jail. He's the worst president ever. How could he do this? How could he? Oh, I don't believe it. He should have never been elected in office. He's the worst thing that happened to this country. Just this complete crybaby ass meltdown. And I was just like, man, this is why nobody likes y'all. Nobody wants to listen to y'all. But even the best part of this whole thing with Trump and these documents, excuse me, documents, the best part was Joe Biden's response to finding out about this thing, about the documents, man. Listen in. The FBI spread the documents out on a floor to make a record of what was found. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself, looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. What's the saying? Boy, that clip did not age well at all. I mean, just a couple months on the other side of the Trump debacle and the Trump hysteria over these documents. Man, Pete, you know, nobody has anything to say now that the shoe's on the other foot. And it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun now that Joe Biden has been caught with some top secret documents at his house in Delaware, at his garage, by his Corvette. That seems like a great place to put top secret documents, sir. Wonderful place. And my thing is, you know, it's crickets now that's coming from the other side that now that Biden messed up. And, you know, my question is, like, where was where's that energy for Trump that y'all had when y'all were so patriotic and so concerned about America and the country because of Donald Trump? Yo, but now that care and concern for the country has gone because the guy on your side just got caught making a stupid mistake. Didn't I say earlier that two things could be the same at the same time? Trump probably shouldn't have had those documents. Guess what? Biden probably shouldn't have had those documents. I like Trump. I don't like Biden. Guess what? I'm going to criticize Trump just as much as I'm going to criticize Biden because I care about America first and the people and the safety of our country and our people, not the safety of my political chosen political party or somebody else's political party. That's not what I care about. And I really hope that the FBI is getting ready to launch a raid into Joe Biden's house and go check out Joe Biden's panty drawer and see what's popping up in there with her bloomers and you know and not just that the fact that you have hunter biden who was also i believe from what i read his address was shown as him living at the same place as his father's residence where those documents were and guess what we know this man has connections to china and the ukraine and all sorts of shady business dealings and crack smoking and partying the man is a liability and he has access to these areas where these documents are that he could probably and possibly be using to gain some sort of financial advantage for himself and his family or to put America at danger and sell our country out. Yeah, but we don't want to talk about that because, you know, according to Jean Pierre, this uh, White House, Joe Biden's White House, the press secretary, you know, the laptop ain't real. You know, it's all made up. That's all Russian propaganda. So we could just sweep that under the rug like it never happened. 
pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. You know, Biden's only been in office just over two years and yet another flop for the Biden administration and another scandal. And speaking of scandals, is anyone looking for a police job? Because I just heard to the grapevine that they are hiring five officers in Tennessee at the Laverne Police Department. If anybody needs a job, they have five fresh openings. And yeah, I know I'm late to the game, people. Like I've been kind of busy with life, being sick and working and hitting that night shift, getting that money, dog. That's what I've been doing, you know. But I've been keeping up online with this whole, with the quote-unquote sex scandal out of Laverne. And let me tell you, man, my first thought upon hearing it was like, one, why is this news? And my second thought was, is this really a scandal or is this just policing on a police department as usual? I'm going with the latter just simply because I listen, I've been in policing 13 years. When I came on in the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, sex on duty was still one. It was one of those things where it was frowned upon, but nothing was really said, you know. And I'm not speaking from experience, people. I'm just saying. I just know the stories from the old school guys on the old county and old city. And the stories I have heard, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Woo. So it would be hard for me to stand in judgment of these officers on the Laverne Police Department without standing in judgment of those who kind of inspired me, grew me, and developed me into the officer I am today. Now, although I've not busted any nuts on duty, but I'm not a perfect man. <laughs> you know, I've not had a perfect career. I've made mistakes in uniform. Not to that degree, but it's kind of like sin, man. It's just, hey, I don't sin that way, so I'm not that bad of a person, right? No, I've messed, made mistakes on the clock, man. And, you know, it's just it's just kind of with human nature. When you put men and women together in a close proximity, I know what you're going to say. Well, they should be professional. Well, people should be professional, but the human instinct always takes over. And wins. That's why I need Jesus Christ, y'all, because my human instincts are horrible and I'm weak. And without the love of God and the guidance of Jesus Christ in the Bible, I would be an even horrible person than I already am. I need it. I need his forgiveness. I need his mercy. And I need his guidance every day because I'm a flawed person. So, you know, while people are going against them, oh, they're horrible people. I'm not going to say that they're horrible people. They're just horny people. And that's okay. You know, it's just you can't be. You can be horny on the clock. You just can't take care of it while you're on the clock. I mean, if you need to, like, hey, Sarge, I got this feeling deep down in my soul right now, man. I need to go 10-7 and go to the bathroom real quick and rub on out. Don't do that instead, man. Like, Jesus, man. Like, I don't I don't get it. I don't But Like I said, they're not the first and not the last. I think that was a couple months ago. There was a deputy getting blown on the back of his cruiser somewhere in Texas. And that, there was a camera. And I'm like, bro, there's cameras everywhere. What are you thinking? You couldn't wait till you get home, you know, coming into the police department in the late 20, you know, 2009, 2010, you know, clearly missed the golden age of policing, man. There was a lot less restrictions and a lot less policy back in the day. And I know there was some serious, serious things going on on this, on the LMPD when I was there. And I just remember hearing stories of a female officer that was dating another guy and she got jealous, and next thing you know, she locked herself in his trunk and tried to say that he raped her. And I mean, man, it's just that's just the nature of this of people. I'm not even gonna say policing. 
It's just the nature of people. Man, I have heard some crazy stories, man. There was a young lady in the police academy class that was the class before me. And this young lady ends up getting fired maybe six, seven, eight months after the academy. She goes out to the clubs or her sister gets drunk and decides to fight an officer and kicks an officer in the nuts, pulls out her badge. And, you know, it's one of the things where it's just like, really? Did you really just do that? And I remember seeing her picture in the uh, we used to have this thing called Crime Times where this local paper where anytime you get arrested, your picture would end up in the Crime Times paper. And I remember looking at her booking photo and I was just like, really, girl, did you really just do that? What an idiot. But then not long after that, just (laughs) pictures of her started circulating around on the department. And I was like, well, oh, oh, somebody delete. I don't want nothing to do with that, brother. Not on my phone. Heck, you know, I mean, we even had a cell phone scam that went on at LMPD where officers were teabagging each other in the unit I was in. Now, let me say this preface. I was in the unit, but only because I was affixed to the feds. So I went to the unit maybe once a month to turn in paperwork or to see the lieutenant, but I never hung out at the unit or with the officers. I was busy working with the feds. So I remember getting that call. Like, hey, you need to bring your cell phone to the office to turn it in. Or there's an investigation. I was like, OK, I took the whole box down there and just threw them in the box because I never took the cell phone out the box. Like, here you go. My conscience was clean, my man. <laughs> you know, they had, careers were lost over that one. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, and the, I remember the argument against the, the unit. It was the Viper unit back then. And the argument was it's just one giant boys club. And I ain't going to lie. It was a big frat house, that place, man. My God, I didn't hang out there. But when I went there, it was fun. Oh, my God. I mean, there was posters and so much stuff over the walls. But now that I think about it, look at it like this is exactly why the Department of Justice is in town looking at the Louisville Metro Police Department. You know, they said they're looking at, you know, practices and all that. I, I I get it. I understand. But, yeah, policing can be a it's fun, but it's also I ain't gonna lie, it could be a boys club and it's a giant frat. And it's clearly evident that it's a boys club because you had one female cop that slept with five dudes and everybody's giving it to her with the memes. And my God, the memes you all have been coming out with this week have been phenomenal. Oh, my Lord. But at the same time, it's it's enough. It's time to stop. It's time to move on from Megan. We got, we seen the memes, you know, like we've, we've done enough, y'all. Let it rest, man. Let it go. Let it rest. Let her go on with her life. But, <laughs> and, you know, and nobody, so they're giving it to her, you know, but nobody's really saying anything about the, uh, the men that were involved in it. So I've heard a lot of females speak up and say, this is the problem. And I'm like, I, I don't disagree with you. That's the double standard with America. And there's a double standard between men and women. One female smashes five cops, and she's a whore. And one dude smashes five females. Oh, my nigga. Oh, what's up, Mac Daddy? What's up, Pimpin? You know, it's the same thing, but different result depending on how you identify. <laughs> man, but I want to I, I give her some applause, though. Some applause, man. Just for her, because she was mixing it up and spreading love amongst the police department with not just the white guys, but the brothers and the Hispanic dude, man, like just true American unity. Just, I mean, just, she was slanging that thing around in the interest of fairness and equality and equity amongst her fellow officers, no matter the color. 
you know, and sitting here on Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King Jr., the day after, I'm pretty sure that Dr. King would have been okay with the joining of black and white flesh pressed together in the pursuit of pleasure and unity. The black man told the white woman that he was on his way to the mountaintop and that he was ready to pop. He told her that he was ready to come into the promised land and that if she did not hurry, that he might not get there with her. And as her hearts raced and the black man and white woman cometh into the promised land together and after they were done bumping uglies on the taxpayer dime they laid on the gym floor in their sins covered in each other's fluids and covered in shame they stared into each other's eyes and they both said chief gonna fire that ass chief gonna fire that ass oh lord have mercy chief gonna fire that ass <laughs> I know what y'all thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to hell. I know. I know. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help it, man. I couldn't help it. Just the fact that it's the day after MLK Day and this whole story of racial love and unity amongst this young white lady cop and these other her, <laughs> her fellow colleagues of color and everybody else. Uh, how could I not, man? How could I not? But I'll be honest, though. Honestly, I really honestly believe that that girl is enjoying the attention that she is getting. Because yeah, I have seen post after post from her page, and she's still living her best life. She ain't took her stuff down. And, man, she ain't running. She ain't hiding in shame. She's like, yeah, I took it. I took it all. Took it all. And just she's embracing. I'm like, hey, man, do you, boo-boo, do you. That's what you want to be proud of. Hey, go for it. I am not going to judge you. But I tell you what, though, man, her husband, I don't know if this dude is – He's either the simp slash fool of the year or he is literally the husband of the year because I saw a post where the other day that I'm pretty sure it was real. Could be fake. I don't know. But it said we still together. Y'all cool. And like he's I, I seen Arco. He said that he's going to stay with his wife. And I'm like either he's a fool or this man's serious about till death do you part. And my whole thing from the beginning was just reading the story. I'm not going to tell y'all the story. Y'all everybody's read it at this point. Yo, but. I just knew from the beginning, I was like, this is a swinger hitch. And she tried to get him to go in on it. He wasn't cool with it. And she just kept doing it. Personally, I think the young lady, she probably needs some therapy, some counseling. You know, hey, they're going to definitely need some marriage counseling. But hey, if they're going to stay together and work through it, I can't say nothing because I'm on marriage number three. Who am I to judge? But I tell you what, man, people always wonder why I stay in policing because there's just no drama like cop drama. Ah oh, man, I just cannot tell you all the juicy stories and the rumors mill and like I, said, I don't really get involved with that stuff, yo. But when I hear it, I'm like, what, 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 what? what you say? Who, what, who did what? Oh no, he didn't. Are you serious? Who's getting investigated? What did he do? Who beat their wife at the Super Bowl party, bro? What? No, that's crazy. Yeah, man. Like I said, I don't, I don't spread rumors, but I just. Like when my ear catches stuff. I know the Bible says I'm supposed to walk away, but it's kind of hard. You know, I'm listening for updates from the administration on stuff and the rumors about pay raises and stuff. But sometimes the other stuff gets caught in there and I can't just turn away. Although I probably should. But at the same time, like I, said, I don't really be, you know, somebody tell me something between me and them. It literally it stays between me and that person. I'm not out for putting people's business out there. Yo, but I listen to your business if I hear it. But hey, I'm not going to judge you on it. And hey. That's just me, though.
And, you know, and this is why I tell people, like, even in my downtime and off time, I don't really hang out with a lot of cops and a lot of police officers. I just don't. I mean, I love my fellow officers. I got some dudes on the department that we hey, were super cool. Love these cats, you know, kick it once in a while. Yo, but honestly, man, it's just me and my wife and my kids. I'm either at a couple places. I'm either at work, I'm at the gym, or I'm at home. Used to be church. I'm working on finding a new church, yo, and that'll be another place I'll be, yo, but that, that's literally it, man. So, but man, I, as much as I love policing and cops, I know that it's healthy and important to keep things separate. You can't mix business with pleasure. You don't crap where you eat. And all too, you know, too many times, man, you spend more time with the people that you're on the clock with than you do your own family sometimes, you know, so sometimes that line gets blurred and it just happens. It's a part of life, man. But it also brings me back to one of the number one rules in policing that I've learned from the get go. And that is you never police where you're from or where you have family close by. You just don't. Now, do people do it? Yeah, people do it all the time. I just advise against it. It's not fun. And, you know, because when the waters of justice and right and wrong and being impartial start to get muddy, that's when friends and family kind of start getting involved with you on the clock. And we're supposed to be impartial. But at the same time, you know, we have our discretion to use. And so, so for me, I'm from a small town called Radcliffe, Kentucky. You know, I, you know we, I grew up in the military and moved around a bit here and there. You know, so. Man, it was, we settled back in Radcliffe in 97 after my dad retired. So that's pretty much where I call home, Hardin County. And I remember when I was getting into policing, they were like, hey, come down here and work here. I'm like, hell no. I know too many people, too many friends. I got too many family members. My God, I can only imagine if I had been on that department at the time of my mom's tragic suicide that involved my father during a domestic incident. I couldn't imagine being there for that. It was hard enough. The fact that I was like 45 minutes away, 45 minutes North, you know, but imagine being on that part. Now mm -mm, I like to keep it as separate as possible, but I mean, even that, with that being said, I mean, I've had times in my career where I've had to lock up or cite people that I know. And it's not really comfortable. So, you know, just like I was telling y'all, but when I was on the Viper unit and I was on the U.S. Marshals Task Force, I remember we were doing doing some warrants and I was going through this little warrant packet and I saw this guy that looked so familiar. And I'm like, yo, that's Terrence, man. Me and Terrence, I've known Terrence since like the fourth grade. Terrence, you know, we was never great friends, but we were cool and casual and passing. Never had a problem with Terrence, man. You know, but then I started looking up Terrence's record and like, Boy, Terrence has became a piece of shut your mouth, man. It, I was just like, oh, wow. And then I was just looking at my buddy was like, we already got him tracked down and located and we know where he's at. And man, I ain't talked to Terrence in a long time. I'm talking. It's been like 10, 12 years, maybe since I'd seen Terrence. And I'm just looking at Terrence charges like Terrence is into drugs. But Terrence is also a rapper. And I'm just looking on YouTube and looking at Terrence's videos. And I'm like, what? He think he's rapping. Just with the weird thing with a lot of people from Radcliffe, they all think that they're gangster rappers and talking about running up in people's houses with guns and shooting them. I'm like, bro, you from Hardin County, son. Calm down. Have several seats. I ain't hardly seen any of y'all up here in Louisville. But guess what? Terrence was in Louisville. And so, man, we I remember we getting our 
know, unmarked vehicles. Yo, we go to the location where they believe he's at. And I told him, like, yo, let me take charge and let me take the lead. And yo, so it's weird. We get out the car. We're moving up to the uh, house. And the front door's open. And I'm like, yo, stand off to the side. I'm going to see if he recognizes my voice. And I know what y'all thinking. You're horrible, Dexter. Why would you do this? Listen, I was trying to become a fed, man. I had a point to prove. And justice needed to be served. I don't need y'all's judgment. He wasn't really my friend, just an associate. I would never arrest a friend, but I definitely would arrest an associate. And so I go up to the door and I'm like, hey, yo, T-Mac. He's like, yo, who that is? Hey, yo, it's Dex. Who? Dex from McDonald Middle School, from Hardy Cow, from Radcliffe. And me, I don't have my whole body sticking in the door because I'm wearing a vest and my gun belt and all that and my badge. So I just kind of, my body's to the left of the door, and I got my head just kind of peeking around the corner. And so he said, yo, what you doing here? I'm like, yo, what's up, man? I thought I saw you from the street. Then he comes up and comes to dab me up and click, click, got him. <laughs> I know what y'all thinking, that's petty. Yes, it definitely was petty. But I got my man that day. And I mean, man, I, I remember I had to cite one of my most favorite people in the world. And it was not because I wanted to, yo, but what you got to understand is when you're in the FTO process as a rookie and a, you're in training, you have to do what your trainer tells you pretty much. So one of my most favorite people in the world, like I, said, I still want to get him on my show. His name is Mr. Jackson. I met Mr. Jackson after I got out of the army and I was working at the VA hospital as a housekeeper. Him and his wife, Wanda, are awesome people, man. They lost their son to suicide, and every year I see him at the suicide walk. Yo, so for me, man, it was a. Uh, we were driving down a. Uh, well, I forgot the name of the road, Bartstown Road, one day, and my trainer's like, "What's wrong with that car in front of us?" I'm like, "Tags are expired." So I go to stop the car, and I walk up to the car, and I'm like, "Hello, I'm Officer Pitts, met Hey, Mr. Jackson. Hey, Miss Jackson. How y'all doing? Yeah, it was like, so, yeah, we knew you were a cop." Oh, congratulations, you made it. We were praying for you to be a cop. And I'm like, well, you're probably not going to wish you were praying for me to be a cop at this point. And unfortunately, you know, we go back to the car. I have his driver's license and I'm looking at my trainer. And of course, he didn't tell me to cite him. He was like, what do you want to do? In my mind, like I'm like two weeks into the job you know, and I'm thinking, well, policing, it's black and white. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. I can't show anybody favor because they're my friends. Right. I freaking love these people. They pray for me to have this job. How's it going to look if the job that they pray for me to have causes me to write them a ticket? And he was looking at me. Paco's a great guy, but Paco's a big Puerto Rican. Paco was angry. And it was just the way he was looking at me. I was like, you know, I'm afraid if I don't write this ticket, I'm going to get rolled up and get a bad you know, POR for the day. And I was just like, man, what do I do? So I wrote the ticket. But man, and I just remember walking up to the car and shame, like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever had to do. And I was like, Mr. Jackson, hey, uh, man, I, I, sorry, I love, I love y'all, but unfortunately, I had to write y'all a ticket. And I'm trying to talk low because I don't want Paco to hear me. He's on the other side. Yo, but I'm, I'm sure Paco's listening and can hear. And it was like, man, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson, the sweetest people ever. Yo, they were just like, Dexter, we love it. We completely understand. It's not that big of a deal. It's just an expired tag. I, I was like, I know, man, but but no, 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 you're fine. Just the sweetest people you could imagine. And man, you know, and I gave them their ticket. And I got in the car and drove off and I felt so horrible. And then to make things worse, Paco pipes up. You really gave them a ticket? 
And I was like, really, bro? Like, in the back of my mind, like, I thought this was a test, man. That's just one of the many awkward moments I've had with people, encounters with people that I know and love on the street. Now, I've had some other encounters, and they were real awkward because some females in my life that I met at a point in time where we used to bump uglies together, but not on the clock. Some chicks I've known over the years when I was kind of in the streets and kind of wild, kind of slinging that meat in that wood back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Right after I got out of the army, I met some couple females, man, and I remember I was at the jail one day taking a prisoner in, and I heard this little voice pipe up and said, Dex, Dex, and I'm like, somebody call my name? And somebody's like, yo, Pitts, somebody over here is calling you, and I'm just like, Oh, whoa, whoa, bro, what is she doing here? Ooh, um, hey, what's going on, you? Hey, uh, you think you could help me? Like, sweetie, uh, I ain't got nothing for you at this point. <laughs> uh, that was just one person. I remember I had another person that was getting booked while I was at the jail that I met while I was a cop. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, she gave it to me when we broke up because she was a little bit of an alcoholic. You know, she had a lot going on. And I had a lot going on in my life at the time, too. We were just two dysfunctional people trying to figure things out and looking for comfort in each other. And it just did not work out well. She liked to drink 40 ounces. And I was like, you know what? This isn't going to work. And I remember she was like, she was going to this job interview the next day. She's like, hey, come pick me up and take me to this job interview. And she said something to me kind of sideways. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you. Man, that I, the day came for a job interview. I ain't show up. All I know is my phone rang a couple hours later. And all I got was, you cowardly ass nigga. You son of a bitch. Oh, oh man. She went in on me. You know, she's like, I knew I shouldn't have fucked with the police. You son of a bitch. Yo, and I was just like, ah, here we go. Here we go. So I just hung up the phone. And then months go by, and I'm at the jail, and I hear another word. Hey, Dex. Dex, you think you could help me out? It's like, oh, I'm a cowardly nigga. I'm sorry, I can't help you out. <laughs> I don't I don't forget. I don't forget. But, yeah, those are, you know, some of the awkward moments for me on patrol running into people that I know. And it gets worse from there, though. But, I'm, you know, you're thinking, what could be worse? It could be worse when it's your actual family members, man. So for me, like I said, we're not from here. My wife, she's not from here. But her, my in-laws, they live up here for a little while. And I love my in-laws. They're great people. But, you know, my brother-in-laws, not going to bad talk them. But they've made some questionable decisions in life with women, just as I have as well. Unfortunately for me, this did not lead me to impregnating any of the women that I did. But they did. And I remember, I think it was a couple, maybe about a year back. I'll say maybe a year after I got back to Louisville after the riots. One of my brother-in-laws has a really super crazy baby mama. I'm not going to say her name, but my nickname for her is I'll Kill You. Because she crazy and she literally will kill you. She's a big old black ghetto chick. Yo. And I was just like, man, she's tried to fight my wife and caused so much problem and strife with the family. He won't let us, won't let me see my beautiful little niece. But I remember, like I said, it was about a year after I got back from the riots. I get a call to the hospital at UofL about a stabbing that had taken place. And I'm looking at the name and the run like, yo, is that I'll kill you? 
I'm like, I don't know her last name. And I call my wife. I'm like, what's her last name? She's like, I don't really know her last name. And so I go into the hospital and I'm like, hey, where's your stabbing victim at? And they point me to the room where the stabbing victim is. And I draw back the curtain and there's this giant black chick laying in the bed on her side with a fresh stab wound in her giant thigh. And I'm sitting there like, ma'am, did you call for police? And I'm looking and it's her. I know it's her. She looks up at me and says, yes, sir. Then she looks like, are, are you Dexter Pitts? I'm like, yep, that's her. And the next thing you know, she's like, get out, get out, get the fuck out, you son of a bitch. You motherfucker, you and your fat. Oh, it went on and on yelling and screaming and I'm going to do this and that, you motherfucker. And I was just like, and as I'm walking out, got a little smile on my face. And then all the whole hospital staff is looking at me like, bro, what did you just do? And I just looked at one of the nurses. I was like, nothing. Just a little bit of family drama. <laughs> so, you know, I go about my way and I call my sergeant like, uh, yeah, just so you know, that was my brother-in-law's baby mama, the stab victim. But we don't even got to do nothing because turns out she got stabbed in Indiana. It wasn't in our jurisdiction. Not our problem. And then the awkwardness is this happens again, but with a different family member, baby's mama. The other night I'm working, man. And my buddies, you know, we get a call to the mall. We get to the mall and I pull up and my homeboys are about to go in and do their investigation. And as I'm pulling up, I'll see these two people outside the car. And I said, is that beep? I ain't going to say her name. And she looked at me like, oh, my God. And I was like, is this really happening? God, is this really happening right now? Because this person is crazy as hell, too. It caused so much drama, but my little nephew that she gave birth to is just the greatest freaking kid, and I love him to pieces. Such a great kid, and he's welcome in my house anytime. But she don't get along with the family. He's made all sorts of crazy allegations, yo. So it's just kind of like, man, I really don't want to be caught up in the middle of this right now, yo. But you know, my, my my partner's like, yeah, bro, they security guard called on them. They were out at the mall, and they were smoking in the car, and there was a gun. I'm like, well... I know she has a gun. She's legal to carry the gun. And the next thing you know, my partner's like, bro, we ain't touching it. And I was like, you know what? Hey, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> my God, ain't no telling the drama that would unfold. But the thing is, she's on the, the woke side of things and hates the police. Has tried to convince my little nephew that the police are evil and that he should hate the police. But he doesn't. He still loves the police and he loves me to pieces. Love that little guy, yo. But and it was just so weird. It's Next thing you know, like I've seen her before in public in uniform and she doesn't acknowledge me when she's with her Black Lives Matter woke friends. I'm like, hey, it's OK. I, I understand. I expect this from you. But it's you no know, it's different when you get caught doing something a little shady and you're looking at me. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How's the family? Dex? Oh, the family's great. They're doing wonderful. How's my nephew? He's good. He talks about you all the time. I'm like, I'm sure he does. We got to get together more often. I'm like, you ain't said that in about four years. <laughs> so next thing you know, they, they get cut loose. He's like, thank you so much. I'm like, yeah, sure thing. Sure thing. Man, super awkward. bro. My, my thing was like, what are the odds that I run into you out here at this time of night in this new area of town that I worked Far away from where you live and far away from where I used to be. Like the drama for some odd reason just follows me sometime with the family. You know, I had a bro my brother-in-law call me one time, man, when I was on the clock. Or when I was on the clock, he was like, hey, 
I got this NCIC warrant, bro. And I'm like, bro, I, Indiana, I, I can't help you. So I can say a prayer for you. So I can direct you. I can direct you to a lawyer on Google or something with a Google search. But that's I can't help you, man. And, you know, a lot of people you know one thing I always tell people when it comes to policing and family members is you don't drop my name, especially when you're involved in something criminal or something suspicious. Don't drop my name. Let me tell you, you don't get the family friends and discount from me when you get caught breaking the law. I'm just I'm straight up. I'm going to tell people, hey, handle it how you would handle it. Man, my partner that died, Dee Dee, back the, the day after uh, uh, Christmas Day, or Christmas Eve, man, I remember my brother-in-law was like, yo, who's this short little hot blonde chick? Like, she pulled me over and roughed me up. I was like, oh, that's Dee Dee. He was like, yeah. I was like, did you mention my name? He was like, nah. I was like, good, don't. <laughs> that's one thing I hate. Bro. I hate when people name drop and they think it's going to get them somewhere. And I'm like, no. You a grown adult. You made the choice to do what you did. You got to suffer the consequences of your decisions. Officer Pitts can't help you. And, you know, I got a taste of this early in my career because, you know, when if you read my book, you know, I was married to a very powerful and prominent black pastor in Louisville. Like I was married to his daughter. Excuse me, not pastor. I was married to his daughter. And man, so this is I. Everywhere I go, people, oh, my God, that's the Reverend Son-in-Law, y'all. I mean, I'm over here trying to do my job. Hey, hey, Reverend Son-in-Law, what's it like being through the family? And I'm just like, like would y'all go away and please let me do my freaking job so I don't get fired? <laughs> and I just remember Paco, my trainer, was like, why all these people know you, man? <laughs> you know, and it's uh, then it got worse for me because I remember when Nancy Pelosi came to Louisville one time. I actually wrote about this in my book as well. I, Nancy Pelosi came to Louisville and I remember I was going, I w went to work that day. I was excited to go to work. I was kind of like mid phase with Paco and I go and sit at the roll call table. You know, and I'm just kind of smiling, ready to get to work. And Sergeant looks at me like, what you doing here? Like, uh, working. He's like, not today. You're not. I'm like, why I'm off. You need to go down to your father-in-law's office. I'm like, I'm good. I don't want to No, you're going. They was like, you don't understand. We got calls from some mighty big people. You will not be here with us today. And so the next thing you know, I didn't even get a call from my family, my wife or her family. And I, they, they, I was told, hey, you need to go change out in the plain clothes and go to the office, to his office. So I go there and the next thing you know, I'm sitting there in front of Nancy Pelosi and she shakes my hand. And I got real scared when she's like, Dexter Pitts, I know all that I need to know about you already. I'm like, like, and me, I know that she's a big time politician. I'm like, have you been looking at my web browser history? And now, see, this was back in 2010 when I was a little wayward, y'all. So I'm thinking, I don't, I hope you don't know my web browser history, ma'am. Whereas you said you already know me. But, <laughs> but yeah, but that was actually pretty cool. And that's why I, and I was kind of on the left side of things. And I actually have a Nancy Pelosi challenge coin. And I know what y'all are thinking. Why would you have that and keep that? How many times in my lifetime am I going to meet Nancy Pelosi? I'm just saying. It is what it is, man. I'm mean, yeah, Of course I kept the coin. I'm not a fan of hers, but I'm not going to get rid of that thing. I'd be a fool. <laughs> but yeah, man, you know, that's, that's, I've had some interesting times in this career with friends and families over the years. And some of y'all have probably listened to this episode not going to look at me the same after that. And that's absolutely okay because you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm just like anybody else. I have flaws. Yeah, but, you know, so, man... I just realized like this year, 2023, 
told you it's been 18 years since I got blown up in Iraq, but this is also my 20th year, my 20th uh, reunion, the year of my graduation class. Man, we graduated 2003 in June. This is also the same year I joined the Army, and I don't know what's been going on with me, man, but I've been extremely nostalgic lately. I don't know if it's something that happens to everybody as you get older. Like, I'm going to be 39 this year, and I'm just, I don't know why, but I've been reminiscing so much about Iraq and the Army and my mom, my family, my childhood, and just thinking of me growing up at my kid's age. And, and I don't know what's going on. I've just not been able to get my mind out of the past. And, man, I've just been reading, I don't know, so many books about the Iraq War. I just finished one book up called We Were One. It talks about the Battle of Fallujah in November of 2004, in which I was in country just east of Fallujah during the battle. You know, but I don't know. I just keep breaking out the photo album and traveling down memory lane watching old documentaries on the war. I just, I don't know, man. I just, I can't get away from the memories of the past, but it's not just the bad memories I'm focused on. It's just everything in totality. And I'm looking at how things in my life has transpired to be, to, for me to be where I am now. And I'm just looking at my life like, man, it's been a good life, but man, and it just, you wish you could go back. And I think I look at myself in these pictures of me in Iraq as a young man at 19, 20 years old. And I just look at myself now and I'm like, I can't believe that was me. That was this badass soldier carrying a machine gun. And now I just look at myself, you know, almost 20 years later with a dad bod and knee pain and back pain and diabetes. Just like, man, what, where has the time gone? But you know, the years have been good to me. They haven't been easy, but man, they just been so good. And the nostalgia, I've just not been able to escape it. And honestly, I don't know if I want to escape it. It's been so nice and I've really enjoyed it, but I'll tell you, but it's been so the other night at work, man, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it was like some sort of weird divine sign. And maybe I'm looking into it too deep or just, just coincidence or something. But man, I remember I was driving around the other night and I saw this white car on a car lot. That's not supposed to be there. Cause my patrol area works four square miles. If something's out of place, I'm going to notice it. And I just saw this van or this white, uh, white SUV. And I pull up to it and I'm going to do my investigation. And there's a, I look in the front mirror and I see an Iraqi flag that's hanging off of the uh, rear view mirror in the front. And uh, the guy in the back is sleeping. The truck is running. He's staying warm. You know, he gets up and I'm like, it's a young Iraqi guy. And, you know, I do my whole investigation. You know, he's cool. He's not really doing nothing. He's just, you know, having an issue with his family. He needed somewhere to stay for a little bit. And, and I was just talking to him. I was like, hey, man, you from Iraq? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm from Iraq. I was like, man, where are you from in Iraq? He's like, oh, you wouldn't know. I was like, man, I don't know. I might know. I was there. You know, he told me he was 19 years old. So when I was there, you know, he was one years old. And he tells me, I'm from Abu Ghraib. I was like, I know Abu Ghraib. I was like, I almost died in Abu Ghraib. <laughs> so I got blown up in Abu Ghraib, man. I know your neighborhood very well. And he's like, yeah, you know, we came here with my family, you know, when I was like five. And he was like, you might know my dad. He was like, my dad. And I was like, well, when you say I might know your father, are we talking as your father as a man that blew me up and almost killed me? Or are you saying that your dad worked with the Americans? You know, we need to need to specify because I might need to have a conversation with him at one point. You know, he was like, no, my dad worked with the Americans. And man, it was so weird, you know, that this was coming together. But what made this incident even more bizarre? It was 
the fact that when I got his driver's license to go run it real quick, man, I looked at his driver's license and the first three letters in the first three digits and letters of his license was a two one four. And if you don't know what that is, that was the battalion and the company I was with. I was a part of alpha company two second battalion, 14th infantry regiment. And just seeing that it just all came together. Like, yo, like this is so weird. This young guy from Abu Ghraib who was there when I was a little kid, or excuse me, who was, who was, who was a little kid when I was there in 2004, 2005, man, he's my, you know, he's the age now that I was when I was over there and his driver's license is the, but my no battalion and company. And I was like, God, are you telling me something or I don't know what's going on, man. I like, I don't know what to make of it, but man, it's just been, like I said, it's been an awesome experience, the nostalgia and just seeing that all come together, man. I don't know. Like I said, maybe you all could chime in. I don't know. For you all that have served in the military that have been out a while as you're getting older, do you find yourselves traveling down memory lane a lot more as the years start to tick by and pass by? Because Lord knows I have been. And like I say, I'm reading the Dr. King book now, but I want to make it a thing this year. I want to read a lot more books on the war in Iraq from other people's perspectives. And like I can hopefully I'm going to have some of them on the show here shortly. You know, and it's, it's still weird and bizarre to me that. I graduated 20 years ago this year and you now they're planning the reunion of committee. And I'll be honest, probably not going to the reunion. I honestly, I really don't care. It's not my thing, bro. I'm like, I see you all on Facebook, social media all the time, you know, and I'm just like, now I was just looking at my pictures from high school and like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't peak in high school. Like some people, you know, <laughs> looking at some of the cool people in high school and looking at them now, like, Ooh, Boy, that did not work out well for you, did it? Not to be a jerk or anything. I'm just saying. I'm just taking note of what I've noticed, man. But, man, this has been a good episode. A little bit all over the place, but a little fun. And it's good to be back before you all again, as always. And I don't know if you all can tell. I'm still kind of sick, and I, my throat is still messed up. And I've been sick going on almost freaking, my God, how long has it been now? Over a month. <coughs> You know, people are like, it's, it's, it's the COVID, man. It's the COVID. And I'm like, who knows at this point, bro? And, you know, it's, it, that was the other thing I forgot to mention as well when I was talking about the divide in this country, the craziness on both sides is like with the COVID vaccine. Man, just a couple years ago when the COVID started, it was the COVID hysteria. COVID was killing everybody. People were losing their minds buying toilet paper and people were losing their minds buying food and all the stuff that really didn't matter. And now we're on the opposite side of it. Where anytime someone dies now, the first thing somebody says is it's the jab. It's the, you know, it's it's the shot. It's the vaccine. And I'm just like, is it really? Who I, you know, is there something going on? Yeah. Yeah, something a little weird going on, you know. But every time somebody goes down, it's always to the extreme of it's the jab. Just like when uh, DeMar Hamlin got hit in his chest playing football. Everybody's like, it's the jab. And I'm like, no. Not necessarily the jab, bro. And uh, the thing is, man, people got to realize people have been dying and dropping dead since the beginning of time. Yes, there seems to be a bit more with a bit more young people happening to. But like I say, you know, I'm trying to keep things in perspective and realize that I'm not a medical doctor and I don't know what's going on. But at the same time, I'm not paying attention to QAnon and all this 
all these crazy headlines talking about this virus and then talking about the vaccine. And I've heard people say that the vaccine was alien technology and it's got little hands in it and it's controlling people. Well, I'm just like, listen, bro, I ain't got time for the craziness and madness on either side. No, I'm not vaccinated. I didn't get the shot. I'm okay with that. But I'm not going to brag and gloat about it. You know, I mean, like I said, I've had COVID twice. It's not fun. That's real. You know, and hey, man, there's something going on. But what exactly is it? I don't know. And because I don't know exactly, I'm not going to speculate. You know what I'm going to continue to do? I'm going to continue to live my life. Yes, I hate the fact that young people are dropping all over the place and this new sudden death syndrome. It's craziness, man. But you know what? That's life. We are all going to die at some point in time. Some sooner than others, some later than others. You can't control when, you don't know when. So why worry about it? And even if you know you're going to die, why worry? Because me, I don't worry because I know where I'm going because I know who, what I believe in and I know what I follow. I'm a Christian. Like I said, you can tell from this episode, not a very great one. I got a history. I got a past I am not proud of. But because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I don't have to be bound to my mistakes in the past and all the mistakes that I made. I can keep going forward every day because of his mercy and grace. And I can live the life that he has set before me. And hopefully I've run the race that has been set before me. And I do a lot of good things with my life to help people. But always have to remember at the end of the day that everything I have and everything I am is because of the man upstairs and not because of anything that I've done. Because I'm not deserving of any of the good things that I have in this life. But Lord knows that he continues to heap blessings upon me and my family. And I am extremely grateful for that. I'm, extra, I'm extremely grateful to live in this country at this point in time that I didn't have to go through what my parents and ancestors went through when this country with race and segregation, slavery. I didn't have to go through that. My kids don't have to go through that. I'm extremely thankful to be where I am in my life and point in time in my life and to have a house, nice house with a roof over it, a car that runs. And if it breaks down, I got money in the bank to fix it. When we're in a time in America with you know, this recession and bank accounts are being stretched thin. You know, food is overpriced. Inflation is killing us and choking us. And you know what? I'm doing okay, man. I really can't complain. You know, I don't worry about where my next meal is coming from or my kid's meal. I don't worry about how I'm going to fill my gas tank up or feed my family. I don't have the worries that a lot of people have. And like I said, I'm not saying this to brag. Well, I'm saying this to brag on the God that I serve, not to brag on anything that I've done or did because I haven't done nothing. I just I just exist because he allows me to. And man, I'm just beyond thankful for you all for tuning into my show continuously, the downloads, the interactions on my pay, on my uh, Instagram page. Be sure to follow me on I am Pitts one on Instagram. I can't thank you all enough day in and day out for putting up with my foolishness. <laughs> it's, it still means the world to me. I've been doing this now going on a little over two years, man. And I, I want to keep doing it can't do it as frequently as I was but I try my best but you all keep me coming back like I said keep interacting with me keep reaching out to me if you have questions about anything questions about the police department what's going on want to interact listen I don't want to be the guy that's here to just sell you a book I don't want to be the guy that's just here to sell you some you know a two-minute reel or something I don't want to be the guy to sell you merchandise I want to be that guy that's real and authentic that's here that you can talk to and communicate to like a like a friend 
that's it. Like I said, I love podcasting because I love being out here and meeting cool and interesting people, sharing people's stories and interviewing people. That's what I love to do. Yeah, making money is great, but making money is not my priority and not my it's not you no, know, it's not the, the driving force behind what I do. You all are the driving force behind what I do. All two, three hundred of you that tune in and download and listen. So if you could, like, hey, tell your friends to tune in and listen. Also, if you need a good book to read, I am Pitts. Memoirs of an American Patriot is out. I have officially been published for one year, and I am currently awaiting for the audiobook to be approved by ACX and Amazon. So hopefully that comes down. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. It is a damn fine audio book. No, it's like me. It's not perfect. You know, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a voice actor. I'm just a guy that wrote a book that wanted to read my own book. You know, but I promise that you all will enjoy it. If you do get it and listen, please tell your friends about it. So please go and rate the show if you can. You know, drop me some stars. Drop me some comments. I really, truly appreciate it. And before I get out of here, I want to hit you with one last Martin Luther King quote. No, I'm not going to use the Reverend's voice to make another joke. (laughs) I'm going to leave you with a good quote I read today by Dr. King that kind of sums up the world we live in versus the world that I wish we really were living in. Dr. King says people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they do not know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. Ladies and gentlemen, Go get to know your neighbors, put down the phone, go talk to people in public, shake hands, you know, get out the digital world, get off social media and go press the flesh with real humans. And you will all see that we have a lot more in common that draws us together than you then divides us. Stop thinking left or right and just try to do right by the people that are around us and around you. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I am Pitts podcast. Thank you all for tuning in again. And I will see you all on the next one.